Helen Jenny, I didn't see you. Hello, good to see you. Do uh, you have anything you want to say to us tonight? Impromptu? Merry Christmas, all right, that, uh, that's good, okay. All right, so thank you for coming. It's great to see you. Glad, uh, glad you're here. Any other surprises tonight as I look around? Just the faithful. Hold the, that's good, that's good. Uh, just so uh, we don't get uh, lost in the uh, period of time that has transpired, we have been talking about philosophy in the life of the church. We're looking at New Testament passages to try to help explain why we do some of the things we do, why preaching is preeminent uh, in our worship service, etc. Uh, tonight, uh, we are looking at the aspect of prayer. And uh, the key verse that I've been using the last few Nights comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, concerning the early church, concerning those that uh, had been baptized, concerning those who had been added to the church. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the first thing that I'd like to note is that that word devotion, or they devoted themselves uh, modifies each one of those, those separate uh, entities. So we could read it, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship, and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Uh, all of that would be legit, all right? All of that is compassed in this aspect of what they were devoted or committed to, each element. And with that, I would say that the the, the, the church has various functions. Uh, it has various times of gathering together, various times of, of meeting. And the early church was committed to each aspect of that life of the church. And even as we expect and anticipate that people will be involved in the entire uh, program of the church, not just come and worship on Sunday mornings, but we do anticipate and expect people to be back on Sunday nights. We anticipate and expect that people will be back on Wednesday nights. Uh, and that is part of our overall view of how discipleship takes place. Uh, it, it is achieved by participating in the whole life of the church. And if you don't miss or if you don't participate in certain aspects of the life of the church, you're going to miss out. Uh, that, it, that uh, you are going to, to miss some of the benefits. My point in talking about the philosophy of the church is not to run down or find fault with what other people are doing, but rather to take a positive approach and just simply say, why do we do what we do? And um, tonight we're talking about prayer. We're talking about group prayer. And it is the uh, goal of, of many churches to, to try to accomplish the whole life of the, the church in the morning service. Uh, and uh, so you'll attend some churches and uh, you might find that uh, they'll take prayer requests in the morning service and, and pray for those particular prayer requests or call on two or three people to pray. And it, it's trying to, to make it a time of prayer, like a prayer meeting, trying to make it 
uh, a time uh, that would embellish and incorporate all the elements that are a part of worship and a part of what the life of the church ought to be. Where uh, I believe that we're going to find in the scriptures that it is proper to devote an extended period of time to gather for uh, corporate prayer. Uh, to gather together simply to pray. And uh, that's what we're looking at tonight. The church gathering together to pray. So the theme is a consideration of corporate prayer in the church. So the first thing I note is the church committed themselves to praying together. And they devoted themselves to, and then the end of the verse, the prayers. It is not just prayer in general that they were committing themselves to. It is specific times of group prayer that they were devoting themselves to. How do we know that? Well, first of all, you note the definite article before the word prayers. The prayers. We're talking about specific prayers that they were being devoted to. Not just prayer in general. It doesn't say, and they devoted themselves to bringing bread in prayer. It says they devoted themselves to the prayers, and notice that prayers is in the plural. So they're not just committed to praying, but they're committed to these prayers that we're going to unpack in just a moment. Three, there were specific prayers that were associated with temple worship that they participated in. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So here is prayer meeting time, if you will. Uh, this is the time that was devoted in the temple of which people came to pray, to participate in prayer, to hear prayer. It was a time set aside to pray. And if you notice that uh, Peter and, and John are, are going up to that, for that was the time of prayer. So I'm going to talk about these prayers, talk about time set aside, specific periods of time devoted to prayer. And here it is, uh, the ninth hour, where prayer was going to take place in the temple. In addition, there are numerous accounts of events that are taking place in the book of Acts in which people of God had gathered together for prayer. Acts 12.12, 12, for example, when he, this is Peter, upon his release, and we're going to look at this uh, later tonight, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So here are people gathered together at Mary's house in order to pray. Number two, the church made a general practice of praying together in the temple. The general practice is seen in the phrase day by day. Notice verse 46 of chapter 2. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. So this day by day uh, speaks of habitual uh, activity of gathering together in the temple. They gathered together in a specific place, namely the temple. And later in the account, we see that Peter and John 
were heading to the temple to pray at the appointed time. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So I just submit to you that prayer meeting is nothing new. Uh, and the church was committed not just to the teaching of the scriptures, uh, not just to the fellowship, which we looked at the last time, and this aspect of cooperation, of working together uh, for your mutual purpose uh, in serving God, but they were also committed to praying together. Application. There is much to be said for a structured time for prayer. Uh, just as they had the ninth hour, uh, we have Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. There is nothing sacrosanct about a Wednesday prayer meeting. You can do it Tuesday, you can do it Thursday. There's nothing sacrosanct about uh, 7 o'clock at night. You can do it 8 o'clock in the morning. The, the, the time is irrelevant. But it's helpful to have a time that's set aside so that people know and can put it on their calendar and make it a part of their routine to realize the church is going to be coming together to pray and I can count on it. All right, If it's Wednesday, there's going to be this opportunity to pray with God's people. Two, there needs to be prayer that is offered in addition to the worship service. Um, you can't accomplish everything in one hour uh, that you gather together for, for worship. Uh, and uh, one of them uh, is to give the proper uh, devotion to the time of prayer, uh, to give opportunity for numerous people to pray, to give opportunity for prayer requests, and to take the time to do just that, to pray, all right? Uh, that deserves more than three minutes in a worship service. Uh, that deserves an appointed time uh, to be able to, to do all those things. Three, this provides for large and varied participation in prayer. And this makes prayer a priority in and of itself. It is worthy uh, to gather just to pray. One of the changes that has taken place in our prayer meeting uh, rather recently is that uh, we, we stopped uh, the, the extended devotional time. We're doing a short devotional time now in our Wednesday night program. Uh, but we're not doing the extended uh, devotional time that we did in the past. And uh, I think it almost gave the impression that whenever we meet, we have to spend time in the Word. Uh, you certainly know that I prize spending time in the Word. I think that's uh, tremendously valuable and helpful, but it should not be at the exclusion of prayer. It shouldn't be that we make prayer a, a insignificant tag-on a part of our spiritual life and well-being. But prayer is essential to doing the work of God. It's essential to worship. It's essential to spiritual growth. It's essential for the Word to be effectual and to take place so that we value prayer for prayer's sake. It's, it's worthy of a time that's devoted just to pray together. Number three, 
The church's prayers were informed by their understanding of the Word of God. So here is how prayer and the scriptures interact. Acts 4.23. Uh, this is Peter when he had been imprisoned and then released. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Namely, that they should stop preaching or they were going to be beaten and imprisoned. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Then the believers quoted the scriptures in their prayers. Who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. This is a quotation taken directly from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. So here is this informed understanding of the scriptures as it applies to prayer. This was very applicable. This was the right application of the word of God. They were calling upon the right text. They understood that opposition was going to come against God and his word, against the person of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It did not strike them as unusual or something that was of a major catastrophe. What has gone wrong here? God is sovereign. Why are we hitting these obstacles? Why are we meeting these threats? Why is all of this hardship coming upon us for declaring the word of God? They understood that that's what God's word said would happen. They understood that this was all in keeping with God's purpose, his plan. And so they were buoyed in their faith, not questioning God, but rather going to and addressing him as the sovereign God. God, we know you're in control of all of this. And just because we're being threatened and harassed and imprisoned doesn't mean that the evil one is winning or that the gospel is going to uh, be overthrown or destroyed. They had confidence in prayer because they understood what God was doing and they understood God's sovereignty in a, in a very significant way. And then they go on to say, B, the church asserted its confidence in a sovereign God. They already said that in addressing him in Acts 4.24, the sovereign Lord, and then in Acts 4, 27 and 28, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they understood that the cross was no mistake. They understood that the adversity that had come was actually achieving God's purposes and ends. So too, then, they looked at this imprisonment or threat thereof that if this takes place, this is just going to further the plan of God. Even as Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Uh, Herod would mean it for evil, but God would mean it for good. And so it, it did not 
cast doubt upon their mind. See, the church prayed for boldness in sharing the word of God. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So be aware of their threats. Be aware of what they're saying. Be aware of the potential harm that's going to come to us. And it's significant that they don't say, therefore, may all this pass away. Therefore, keep us from this harm. <laughs> don't let these things happen to us. Uh, don't let Herod imprison us. Stop him in some way. That's not the prayer. The prayer is for boldness. May we continue to speak. Uh, may we continue, no matter what takes place, we name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a lesson we can learn there as we think about praying, uh, especially in a hostile world. Uh, we pray for ease. <laughs> we pray that these things won't happen. What we need to pray for is in a biblical way for boldness. May people not shut us up. May we not be afraid. May we not be intimidated by threats, by people that mock, by people that uh, are going to make fun of us. Uh, may we not be concerned about what people are going to think of us. But Lord, give us boldness to speak and teach and witness the word of God. That was their prayer. So the church prayer for boldness and sharing the word of God. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And their prayer was answered. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Uh, that's what they prayed for. That's what they got. And so they continued to preach with boldness. Uh, I'm tempted to go to a follow-up, uh, but I'll wait. And I'll follow the chronology of the scriptures. Number four, the church's prayers were integral to the sending out of church planters. God sent out church planters from the midst of the church. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets, teachers, Barnabas, and I have them underlined, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. They're all identified as people in the church. The church is going to be sending out people from its midst to be church planters. God called Barnabas while they were worshiping the Lord. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to do. Now it would be wonderful if we would hear an audible voice from God uh, that would uh, direct us in such demonstrable ways. Uh, I don't anticipate that that is going to happen uh, very often, if at all. But nonetheless, God does work. God does move. Uh, God does call people to do his work and to do his will. And the church is to send out those people whom God calls to do that work. Uh, and it is God who, who ultimately does that calling. Uh, Jesus teaches us that uh, prayer is integral to that whole process. Uh, pray ye that the Lord of the harvest thrust for laborers into the harvest. We want to know how are people going to be raised up? What kind of things can we do to uh, interest people in doing the work of missions or to do the work of the pastorate? Uh, how are we going to be able to 
focus young people's minds and attention. And we can go through all kinds of elaborate kind of schemes and uh, uh, machinations uh, to try to impress and try to instill and try to woo people to make some kind of commitment to Lord Jesus Christ, or we can do what the Bible says. <laughs> and that is pray that God would send forth people that he has called and that he thrusts forth to have confidence that God will do his work. And we need to do what God tells us to do, and that is pray that God would raise up people from our midst. And I'm delighted at the number of people that God has raised up from our, our midst to, to serve him. And we need to continue to pray in that vein and in that light. Uh, and then <clears throat> uh, see the church planters were sent off by the church. Then after fasting and praying, uh, should be underlined, uh, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Uh, so they uh, committed them to the Lord. Uh, they uh, prayed. I would submit that they gave thanks. Uh, I, pray, pray, I would submit that they prayed and uh, asked for uh, uh, God's blessing to be upon them. I think that prayer included a whole lot of things, but the point is that that was the response they prayed. Now, four, uh, excuse me, five, and I would remind you of everything that we uh, said in part three, because I think five is a follow-up to three, and that is the church prayed for Peter during his imprisonment. Uh, Peter was in prison for preaching the gospel. <clears throat> Acts 12.5. So Peter was kept in prison. <clears throat> they had been praying for boldness. Peter was bold. Uh, he had been threatened. If you continue to preach the gospel, you are going to be imprisoned. He continued to preach the gospel. He was imprisoned. All right? It, just a natural follow-through of the events that took place. B, the church interceded for Peter. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And the emphasis is the church is praying for Peter. Not just individuals, uh, not just believers, but it's the church gathered together as a people of God who is intervening for Peter. When you look at that phrase, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Uh, I would ask the question, I wonder what they prayed when it says they prayed for him. They prayed for him. What would that prayer look like? What would that prayer consist of? I think that we would run to in our day and age in which we live is that they prayed for his release. I don't think they did. I don't think they prayed for his release. Which is a good explanation of why they didn't believe Rhoda when they said 
that he was standing at the door. It isn't because they were praying and say, Lord, release him. And then they heard he's released and they say, what? How could that be? How could he be released? No, no, they're not praying for his release. If we understand what was prayed for before, and that was they were praying for boldness for Peter, and not that he wouldn't be arrested, not that he wouldn't be in prison, but he was, they were praying that, that God would embolden Peter to stay faithful and true and continue to preach the word of God. I believe that they were praying for Peter in the midst of that prison to keep him strong, to keep him spiritually attuned to what was taking place and give him that boldness to name the name of Christ and not to cave uh, and, and not to recant and, and not to say, well, if this is what's going to happen, then I'm not going to preach any longer. Uh, I believe that's consistent with the way in which they, they prayed before. And I think it's consistent with the outcome. I want you to also notice something that I think is often overlooked. Number one, uh, C, God chose to display his mighty power. Number one, note that Herod was already intending to release Peter. Now when Herod was about to bring him out. Okay. Herod had decided to release Peter. Peter's release was not required for prayer to have taken place. He was going to be released in the morning. Now, I don't believe that those that were gathered for, gathered for prayer necessarily knew that. I don't know that, that Peter necessarily knew that. But the scripture informs us of that pretty significant aspect that Herod's going to release him in the morning. God's going to beat Herod to the punch. God wants to demonstrate that he is sovereign. He is in control, not Herod. Uh, so despite what Herod is going to do, God is going to act differently. Number two, all this took place on the night before Herod was intending to release Peter. You say you just said that. Yes, but notice what the text says. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on the very night, on the very night, the emphasis is on the very night before Herod was going to release him, God set him free. Don't miss that combination that's taking place, is what the Word of God is saying. Three, Peter is released by an angel, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. All of this seems to be a dream or vision to Peter. And when he went out and followed him, he did not know that he was being, what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. 
it opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him, all to demonstrate this incredible power of a sovereign God. Herod couldn't keep him in that prison if Herod wanted him to. An iron gate was going to be no match. It opened up itself, all right? None of these things that were happening in Peter's life were out of the control of a sovereign God, and nothing that was taking place in Peter's life was inconsistent with what God wanted to achieve and do. That's the right attitude towards prayer. That's the right understanding of praising God and leaving things in the hands of a sovereign almighty God. Peter was then convinced that this is all the Lord's doing, verse 11. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. Six, Peter then goes to Mary's house where people were praying. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where, Mary were, uh, where many were gathered together and were praying. There's nothing in the text that says that uh, Peter was instructed to go there. There is nothing in the text that leads us to believe that the angel said to him, now that you're released, go to Mary's house where a group of people are praying. But rather, Peter knew that there would be a group of believers gathered at Mary's house praying. Because that's what they did. Because that's what they did. And he knew he would find them there praying. Seven. The people who were praying did not believe that Peter had been released. Rhoda immediately believed that Peter had been released. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice... In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Here is a, a locked gate. <laughs> but the, the narrative of all this, when, when, when you just, you know, if you just sit back and, and try to picture it all, it, it almost becomes comical. The gate to the city, which is this big iron gate, <laughs> opens up itself. He gets to this little gate that is, you know, part of a person's private property. It's locked, but it doesn't open. And he's there, you know, yo, I'm here. Uh, and she gets so excited, she doesn't even let him in. She just leaves him standing out there uh, and uh, runs in and says, Peter's here, Peter's here, Peter's here. And, uh, of course, they don't believe her. Acts 12, 15. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. Right? It's, it was easier to believe it was an angel than to believe it was Peter standing there in the flesh. Again, I don't think that's a negative comment on the fact that they were praying for his release and they didn't believe it. I don't think they were praying for his release. They were praying for, his, for boldness. And yet, this is the response. Peter standing there in their presence. Peter then explained how these things came to pass. But 
motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Again, a, a significant little byword. Um, every word in the Word of God is inspired. Uh, that's why in the whole translation process, uh, it is so important that we are translating not just big thoughts, but we're actually translating the very words of Scripture because every word of God is important. And one of the things that I, I think is really helpful when you sit and you read and you study the Word of God is that you, you think about and try to anticipate what could be said differently than what is here. I think it's a, it's a good way of, of drawing your attention to exactly what the text says. Okay, To continually ask yourself, how could this have been said in a different way? And what would it have conveyed if it did? So here's where I'm headed. <clears throat> Verse 17. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He easily could have described how the angel led him out of prison and how this angel accompanied him and how the gate opened. But Peter doesn't draw the attention to the angel for the angel is an instrument. The angel is but a vessel in the hand of a sovereign God. This was God who brought him out through the instrumentality of an angel. But without God, without his purpose, without his will, and without his enablement, it wasn't going to come to pass. And so glory, honor, and praise goes not to the angel, but to the God of angels. The God who is sovereign. The God who is in control. E, Herod and others came to learn their limitations. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers of what became of Peter. Or there's an understatement if you ever uh, heard it. Uh, where's Peter? Is the question in the morning. When soldiers are being sent, remember, to release Peter. It's now morning. We are told that it was Herod's intent to release Peter. So he is sending an envoy to bring Peter out of the prison. But Peter's not there. Verse 19. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Here is Herod who's intending to release Peter in just a few hours. 
who is mad as a hornet, that when he gets his envoy there, that he's already gone. Because Herod wants to show his power. Herod wants to intimidate Peter. Herod wants to demonstrate that you need to be submissive to me. All to learn that God is in control and that Herod is incapable of opposing this God by means of imprisoning his people. It's a statement of God's power and authority. And so Herod has these soldiers killed for their negligence and derelict of duty. Lastly, the benefit, so it, it's an exciting story of prayer and a, a, a wonderful attestation of, again, how to pray and how God does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Uh, I am one that thinks we, we shouldn't spend a lot of time directing God in prayer, telling him what to do. The scripture doesn't tell us to do that. It says, cast your care upon him, knowing that he cares for you. It is praying God's will be done. We don't have to figure it all out. We just have to say, Here is, here's the need. And God, meet it in the way in which you deem best. We don't have to tell him what job to provide us. We don't have to tell him what work schedule to present and all these other things. We just have to present our needs and then trust God and believe that in his incredible wisdom and knowledge, he'll do for us what is best and good. The benefit of the church is praying together. We're all over the place here, but um, uh, in praying as a church, we learn how to pray better. Uh, using the example of Jesus and his disciples. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, uh, pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. As it, and it's, he gives them the Lord's prayer. So the prayers of Acts become model prayers for us. I believe that that's why they're there. I believe that that's why those accounts are there. To learn about prayer from these prayers. To learn about prayer from these activities that have just taken place. So the scriptures are that informing element for us in how to pray. And there's so many good books out there uh, uh, that have studied all the prayers of the Bible. Uh, Lockyer has uh, all the prayers of the Bible uh, book. And... Uh, uh, A.W. Pink as uh, uh, Gleanings in Paul, which are uh, studies in all of the, the prayers in uh, the Pauline epistles. There are so many places where you can uh, spend time looking at the prayers of Scripture. But as I think about prayer meeting, uh, one of the values of prayer meeting is in praying with others. I think especially uh, people that are new to their faith or young in the Lord or 
find it difficult to pray. Don't be embarrassed. Don't stay away from prayer meeting if you say, I really don't feel comfortable, I don't know how to pray. Don't pray. Just come and sit alongside and listen to someone else pray. Listen to what they say. Not that we develop some kind of rote way of speaking or there's some Christianese. Uh, you don't, everybody doesn't have to use uh, traveling mercies. <laughs> okay, you just say uh, people's safety as they travel. Okay, I'm not talking about learning Christianese. I'm not talking about learning to pray the flowery way. I'm saying learning to simply feel comfortable in approaching our Heavenly Father through the person of Lord Jesus, knowing that our sins are forgiven and that he welcomes us into his, his sight and to learn and, and uh, listen to how other people pray, of how they assimilate the scriptures in their prayer, how the, those that are mature in their faith uh, emphasize this, this aspect of faith in their prayers. They have an expectancy of God to work. There, there's a calmness in recognizing that, that God is in control even when everything looks bleak. And we can trust him. And our prayers are significant. God uses them. God delights in them. Our prayers are meaningful. B, in praying as a church, we are brought closer together. Uh, this is a way in which we learn of each other's needs. It's, it's a way in which we can rejoice. Imagine being a part of that group that was praying when Peter showed up. Can, can you imagine, I mean, of the excitement of that and to hear the account and everything that was taking place? What an incredible shared experience and moment. And I bet you that every believer that wasn't there was kicking themselves. I think of Thomas when he wasn't in the room when the Lord Jesus appeared. And when he heard about Jesus appearing, he said, I won't believe unless I put my hands into the nail prints of his, of his hands and his side. He missed out. He missed out. He wasn't gathered with the people of God. And there are rare times in which God moves. And you don't know when that is. You don't know when that's going to take place. You don't know when that testimony is going to be offered that, that just thrills your heart and soul. And we don't want to miss those events. We don't want to miss those times in which the Spirit of God moves in a demonstrable way. And then lastly, in praying as a church, God's work goes forward. Uh, that, that these prayers are used of God uh, and I would say they go forward in, in bringing praise and glory to God. Boldness is what they prayed for. Boldness is what they received. Peter went out with boldness. And he continued to pray. And I believe that in their consistency 
I believe that what they were praying for, for Peter, was boldness. Not release, but boldness. But in that release, Peter and that gathered group were emboldened in a whole new way. Peter learned there was nothing to fear. God truly was sovereign. Herod couldn't keep him in prison. A gate couldn't remain closed that God wanted to be open. He could have confidence. And we can have confidence in our God and believe that what we need to do is pray for more faith, pray for more boldness, pray for deeper commitment, pray that God would reveal himself more fully to us, that God would give us a richer understanding of truth and a greater intimacy with himself. We need to pray for our spiritual development and health and well-being and that God would use us to the proclamation of the gospel and the saving of souls. And what a wonderful joy to be able to come together as a people of God and pray to that end and see God work and to see people added to the church daily, such as should be said. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for prayer, and I thank you for group prayer and the opportunities to pray together, praying for needs, praying for spiritual development and health and well-being. Lord, uh, help us to be a people that are committed to each other and to you. And in that commitment to each other, it's commitment to the church. It's commitment to gathering together as a people of God to do the work of God and to praise God. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. And we're dismissed.